The following story contains sensitive and disturbing details. It's not suitable for children. We have an extensive search in the Birmingham area. We have utilized both the sheriff's office and we have also the task force that is presently working on the other crimes, other crimes that have committed in uh, the Oakland County area. He has to have a work schedule that allow him to do a lot of things that that the normal uh, person can't do. He's clean, we think. Uh, we, th we think we're looking for somebody in a white collar class or professional class, something of that nature. Welcome back to Shattered. I'm Jeremy Allen. Chief Tobin still thinks there's someone out there who has information about the killer and he's hoping that person will come forth with that information. Without that information, he fears the only way they're going to find the murderer is if he strikes again. And at this point, nobody wants that. It had been six days since Timmy King was last seen at the Hunter Maple Pharmacy in Birmingham. How far is the drugstore from the youngster's home? About three blocks. The search for Timmy King was at a fever pitch. The task force asked everyone to keep a lookout, including postal workers, as they delivered the mail. They're on the street five, six hours a day. They should, if anything out there, they should be able to see as well as everybody. King and HJU, Portable 8, this is KWI Mobile at the... Uh... And citizens with CB radios in their cars became part of the search as well. How have things been going, Mr. Stout? Well, it's been interesting. The weather has made it kind of nasty to drive around here and do your looking here, but uh, we're doing the very best we can to find this missing youngster. On the night of the sixth day, the searching would stop. Finally, on March 22nd... Author Marty Keenan. Five or six days after Tim had gone missing, um, two kids are driving down Gill Road near Eight Mile in Farmington, and they see, I think they see Tim's red hockey jacket. Tuesday, March 22nd, 1977, right around 11 p.m., Timmy King's body is found in a shallow ditch. Tentatively, the body of the young lad down there is Timothy King. Former Birmingham police officer Jack Kalbfleisch was at the scene that night. He addressed the mass of reporters sometime after midnight. What do you think the cause of death is? There's it's too early to tell, and we're not going to second-guess the there lab and the medical examiner. The there are no obvious signs in the body. Gentlemen, we have stayed back <laughs> to let the crime lab people do their job. <laughs> we only got close enough to give the tentative identification. How long do you think he's been dead? I can give no answer. Can you give us some background to how the body was found? No, I can't at this time. We received our call from Livonia stating a body had been found and that the clothing description was similar to that of our missing boy. Timmy's body was in a ditch about 360 feet south of Eight Mile Road in Livonia. This location is important for many reasons. Livonia is not in Oakland County, but instead it's in neighboring Wayne County. And this meant a whole new department, new prosecutor's office would be introduced to the case. I received the call from the station at 11.30. Do you know whether or not the Livonia Fire Department tried to revive uh, the body when they uh, found it? I do not. Is it true a red jacket and skateboard was found uh, with the body? Uh, understand the 
In fact, I know I saw the red jacket and the green pants and the shoes. All tentative identification is there. What about, signs of, why they, what about signs of violence on the body? Does it look like anything like uh, uh, stabbing, uh, shooting, anything like that? No open signs that we could see from our position in the middle of the road. Can you tell us why the Sheriff's Department has uh, this area blocked off? So people can work. What's, Are they what's, checking license numbers and cars thoroughly to see perhaps that there's a suspect in the area? Gentlemen, we're doing a number of things that we can't release right at this time. I still feel the most important aspect is the investigation and get this animal off the street. Police had asked the media not to report anything until they were able to tell the Kings. And, um, but then a, a small ticker headline went at the bottom of the TV and it said a body has been found. The sobering reality hadn't even set in yet. Just under 20 miles away in Birmingham, the King family would find out about it the same way the rest of Metro Detroit would. I was in bed uh, and had the radio on and they said something about finding the body there and I knew it had to be Tim. And it was verified shortly thereafter. Uh, my wife and some additional people were still awake and uh, were here in the living room. And uh, our family priest and uh, one of the leading Birmingham police officers confirmed everything to us. But I was not surprised. I'm sure you were devastated though. Oh yeah, yeah, you. Happens to you, it doesn't make any difference whether he's kidnapped and murdered or run over by a car on the way home. He's not just not here anymore. An autopsy was conducted after Timmy's body was discovered. It showed that Timmy had been smothered between 6 and 8 p.m., which meant he was found only about three hours after he was murdered. His body was still warm, so police performed CPR. His skateboard was tossed right next to him, sort of as an afterthought. Birmingham Police Chief Jerry Tobin he certainly, uh, with the amount of coverage that we had, had to know that we had assembled probably the largest task force in the United States to work on a case like this. And I'm sure that the pressure caused him to uh, move to Wayne County. Police told me last night it was about 11 o'clock when two teenage boys from Detroit had driven down Gill Road. They'd gotten this far, about 200 yards south of Eight Mile Road. They spotted the body of Timothy King. They went to that house back there another 200 yards and told their story to Lester Davis. That time of night, I wasn't about to let anybody in the house. It was, uh, oh, about 11 o'clock. The cat got out at 10 o'clock and I didn't let him in. I said, well, you guys just hang in there. Went down there and uh, there it was. So that was it. And uh, so I came back in the house. Do you think the boy could have still been alive when he was dumped there? 
Well, I don't know. I I was up all night, and uh, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't uh, doubt anybody's word of what they say, but uh, I did see the doctor lift his arm up. When I first went down there, the boy's arm was behind him. He was laying on his left cheek and his body left side to the uh, mud, which was more or less uh, frozen at that time of night uh, because of the cold weather. And then I noticed that the arm had been moved. And then I heard that the fire department had been there to check over to see if he was dead. And I will never doubt the word of a fireman. Uh, they, they know, these guys are, are our greatest. And uh, they said he was dead, so he was. And I, I don't think the body had been there any more than uh, an hour before the, the, the cat let the boys know that it was there, and they knocked on the door, and I called the police and, and all that so-called bit. Lester Davis says his cat alerted the two passing boys that something was in the ditch. And so with a gruesome discovery by a small white cat and two teenage boys, a nightmare ends for the parents of Timothy King, and a new one begins. What happened to Timothy King, and will there be any more? But that wouldn't be the last gruesome discovery. The autopsy was conducted by Dr. Spitz of the medical examiner's office in Wayne County. This is Livonia Police Chief Robert Turner. Timmy King was found in Turnerstown, and now he was front and center in the investigation. Death occurred sometime between 6 and 8 p.m. yesterday. Uh, Sexual abuse did occur. Stomach contents were uh, of food that was consumed about two hours before death. Uh, Death was caused by uh, suffocation. Were there any bruises on the body? There were some marks for binding of the hands and feet, yes. Someone then asks about the contents of Timmy's stomach. Yes, fowl and corn. Fowl. Chickens. Or turkey, you know. If you remember, Marion King, Timmy's mom, made a plea in one of the local newspapers to the captors asking that Timmy be returned to the family so they could enjoy his favorite meal, a chicken dinner. Journalist Dick Hafner. The killer read the comments by Mrs. King and made it a point to feed Tim his favorite meal before he was killed in a macabre twist. Almost adding to the injury and misery of the family. As awful as all of this was, the task force would discover a piece of information that could be incredibly useful. They had an actual eyewitness who saw Tim standing next to a gremlin and talking to somebody that likely appeared to be driving it. We'll be right back. Three days after Timmy's body was found in a Livonia ditch, about 400 people joined his family to say goodbye 
at the Birmingham Holy Name Roman Catholic Church. Timmy's friends were the pallbearers. They carried the plain white casket out of the church and into the hearse. Barry, Marion, and the entire family left shortly after. They walked hand in hand to the car. During the funeral, plainclothes officers kept a close eye out for anyone suspicious. And they actually did make an arrest of a man who was driving around the church over and over. But after questioning, they released him. Two other officers who were stationed in the balcony watched over the crowd. Ushers tipped those officers off to two guys who looked like the artist rendering of the suspect. It turned out that one of those men was actually Birmingham Mayor Samuel Staples, and the other was just a man there to mourn the loss of Timmy King, just like the rest of the people in the church. A Free Press article describing the entire funeral pointed out Marion King's composure. She seemed to be revered by those who knew her and watched her during what was sure to be the toughest moments of her life. Here's Marnie Keenan. That woman <laughs> amazed me. She's just by force of sheer will, she said, I've got three other kids to raise and I'm not gonna let this decimate their, the rest of their lives. Um, and she did. Chris said it, it wasn't like you know, we didn't talk about Tim. He was just, you know, we, we celebrated him at Christmas and talked about his sense of humor and the fact that he, he loved to play hockey and, and Little League. And, but um, they didn't talk about the crimes. The King family was added to a growing list of grieving families. He was a very popular kid. He was the smallest kid on the baseball team and was a leadoff hitter. Went two for two in the All-Star game. And he knew everybody. Uh, he was very sociable. And uh, my family and the world were cheated when that happened. All three of his siblings remember me telling Tim that if anybody tried to pick him up, he should drop everything he had, run as fast as he could, and scream. And I'm convinced to this day that when Timmy was kidnapped, he knew what was going to happen to him. And as an 11-year-old kid, there was nothing he could do about it. And that's the aggravating part of the murder to me. And let none of us ever forget the killer or killers of little Tim and the other little children are still out there waiting to do it all over again. Robert Vito News 4, Birmingham. We had uh, about 300 policemen looking for a missing boy. And I guess tomorrow we'll have about, I hope, a lot more than those 300 looking for a killer. 
Birmingham Police Chief Jerry Tobin felt the urgency of the investigation. And I think there will definitely be a different motivation in those policemen tomorrow. Um, I think they're going to be pretty mad. The task force had a few details to work from. A witness saw Timmy King talking to a man in the Hunter Maple Pharmacy parking lot. A sketch of that man was drawn up. This is a composite picture of a witness that we feel was the last person to see the missing boy in the Birmingham area. Sergeant Joseph Kreese, who was the task force street coordinator, called the guy in the parking lot a witness. He wouldn't go as far as to call him a suspect yet. We're hoping that this witness will come forward, or anyone knowing this person will come forward and identify him to us so that we can interview him. He's a white male, approximately 25 to 35 years of age, 5'10", husky build, has a fair complexion. He was wearing a rust-colored sport jacket with dark pants. He's soft-spoken and has dark brown hair cut in a shag. We believe that he's driving a late model blue gremlin with white wall tires. And he was standing next to him, according to the witness. Standing next to the car? Yes. So they had an idea of the guy that was talking to Timmy, what he looked like. And they also had a vehicle description, a blue gremlin. They also had another important detail in their back pockets. They figured out Timmy had been sexually abused. Um, The boys were sexually molested, and it didn't appear the girls were. Mark Stebbins and Timmy King were both sexually assaulted. Christine Mihalik and Jill Robinson were not. Those are the four children attached to this case today. Throughout the 15 years I've been investigating this case, there's, there's many theories. And, you know, we looked at, were they individual cases where they were made to look like the other ones? Were they copycats? Um, were they all four involved? Originally, they were all connected based on the MO, based on the fact that they were abducted, held for several days. Their bodies were dumped in locations where they could be found. Um, they were all suffocated. The manner of death was the same. So they were believed to be connected. Detective Williams misspoke. Jill Robinson was actually killed with a shotgun blast. Some think that she may have been unsuccessfully smothered prior to being shot, but that's just speculation. So we don't really know at this point. Are they all four connected? It's kind of looking, if you look at that evidence alone, like maybe it's boys and girls. But as, as investigators, we have to keep keep our eyes open and and keep our minds open for anything. In 1976, Lieutenant Michael Moyes worked for the Michigan State Police. Hey, Mike. Hi. He was the commander of the juvenile unit. Authorities knew there was a web or ring of child pornographers and pedophiles operating just beneath society's surface. It's a logic, logical jump from that community to what was taking place, especially with the males being sexually assaulted. But until we catch the person or we find out that person and and go into their background, we really don't know. But it's a logical jump. Authorities didn't have the answers, but kept moving forward. Who was the killer? Would he strike again? I'm not frightened because I think I can take care of myself. 
That attitude, police say, can get your youngster murdered. On the next Shattered. Man-boy love was not something which was on the radar screen of people at that time. I mean, that was unheard of and unthinkable. But for the first time, people became aware that this kind of activity took place. It was huge. It was multi-million dollar enterprise. I know there's questions about whether the four children that were killed in Oakland County that we know of, uh, did some of that happen on North Fox Island? A millionaire's private island becomes hell for some young boys who thought they were going on a vacation. It was something far worse than paradise. Oh, absolutely. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. I just wish I could see some of the punishment rather than waiting for God to hand it out. Investigators have created a tip line. If you have any information that could be useful, please call 833-784-9425. And if you have a story about the Oakland County child killer and how it affected your life, please call us at 313-223-2237 and leave us a message. We can also be found on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. A special thanks to Anastasia Klimovitz, Tad Davis, and Joe Prince for their help with the interviews, Zach Rosen, who helps oversee the podcast and edit the show, the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State, and Mary Wallace, Dave Birch, who made it possible to record all of the film audio. Additional thanks to Kevin Dietz with his help with the story. We'd also like to thank Kelly Allen. Our team also produced a five-part docu-series on this story, so if you want to see the footage, You'll find all of that and much, much more at shatteredpodcast.com. Until next time.